we have no idea how these amazing teachings are helping the lives of others realize how there are so many different ways how we can step up and our love for Ahavas Israel. So many different ways. We have a lot of people that are actually walking around saying, but I love the cloud, I love the cloud. But yet, unfortunately, there's a lot of situations that happen, you know, in which there's like not so much love, let's say, for an individual Jew or an an individual person. Because for some reason, there are things that maybe transpired which caused to have that that little bit of a machitza, which doesn't prevent that love to shine through. And I've heard, I'm telling you, I you know, with we've only given like two or three classes. I think this is class number three. Um, on Havas Israel, and I've had so many students reach out with so many, uh, uh, how, how can I say, um, challenges that they're facing in trying to fulfill this mitzvah of Havas Israel. So please keep keep plowing away, keep you know hitting at that iceberg. There's another side that doesn't want us to have love for our fellow Jews. There's another side called the Yetzara that wants to keep us distance from our fellow Jews. And as we learned in the lesson number two, every single mitzvah, every single mitzvah that we do right now is precious. And when you say to yourself, I love this Jew, you're creating a mitzvah for yourself. Because right now in this time, Cloud Israel needs two things very important in this time. Because yes, there's a sakana, Cloud Israel. The two things that are going to get, get us out of this, according to Hakam Yaakov Hillel, is basically Akdut, sticking together as one unit. Because when we're together, nothing, nothing can penetrate us. And also to love each other and to create a lot of merits, to create a lot of merits and for Cloud Israel. So by loving each other, we're creating tons of merits. We're not doing Lashon because when you love another Jew unconditionally, like Hashem loves us unconditionally, there's no reason for Lashon because we won't even fall to that sin, right? So we have to keep in mind these two powerful things. So with that being said, let's continue because we have a lot to talk about. And I want to open up this shiur with thanking Hashem for giving us the opportunity to have the information so that we can learn from it. And so a psalm of thanksgiving, this is Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving, call out to Hashem everyone on earth, serve Hashem with gladness, come before Him with joyous song and know that Hashem, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His, His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise, give thanks to Him, bless His name, for Hashem is good. His kindness is eternal and from generation to generation is His faithfulness. Baruch Hashem. And so now we're going to bring down, uh, the Beis Halavi brings down further on what it is to love uh, Havas Israel. And one of the things we're going to talk about here, which is something that we all experience because we all know someone who converted into Judaism. Okay. And so here we're going to learn as a Torah commands us, there's 36 times in the Torah where it says that we have to love the convert. Okay. So here we're going to learn very deep, uh, lessons on what that means. So, uh, please pay attention. These teachings are powerful. They're life-changing. I can tell you they are life-changing. So with regard to a convert, the scripture multiplied the mitzvah to love an additional positive commandment. And you shall love the convert. We see that in Devarim. And thus we find that regarding the convert, there are two positive commandments. The Ramban wrote in chapter 6 of the Law of Ethics. So... 
Let's continue here. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Okay, here we go. All right. In addition to the general mitzvah of loving every Jew, if that Jew is a convert, there is an additional mitzvah to love him. Sefer Hainuk explains that why there's a separate mitzvah to love the convert. So Hashem chose the Jewish people to be his holy nation. He wanted to make them notorious. Therefore, he guided them and instructed them to act in ways of kindness and compassion. And he exhorted them to crown themselves with every desirable trait so that they would find favor in the eyes of all those who see them. So they will, so they will say about the Jewish people, Am Hashem Eileh. These are the people of Hashem. So since we are the chosen people, God commands us to act on a higher level so that we should be recognized as his people. So the Hinnach here continues how pleasant and desirable a path it is to be kind and to bestow goodness upon a convert who has left his nation and the entire family of his father and mother and has come to dwell under the wings of another nation. That's why God gave us an additional command to love the convert is to show how special we are. When we merit to obtain these good midot, God's goodness will rest upon us and cleave to us and nothing will prevent goodness from coming upon us because goodness manifests itself upon those who are good and the opposite on those who are evil. So aside from performing an additional mitzvah, there's a halak ramifications as well. The pre-Megadam and Orachayim rules that if one has before him two people who need his assistance, a Jew from birth, listen to this carefully, and a convert, but he can provide for only one of them, the convert takes precedence. Since there's an additional mitzvah to love the convert. Do you hear that, guys? The convert takes precedence. Although this mitzvah refers to a convert, the Hinnok writes that more can be derived from the concept of this mitzvah. Just as one must love the convert because he's a newcomer to the Jewish nation, so, so too we must love any Jew who shares a similar status to that of a convert, such as Jews who are strangers to a new land or community. We should learn from this mitzvah to take extra special care to love these Jews and make them feel welcome and comfortable in their new and familiar surroundings in our time that would include a ballet tshuva as well. And also, guys, we see that today with all the people that from, from these these Moshavs that bury and they have been displaced. They have been displaced and they're now in homes. They're not their homes. They don't have their homes anymore. So they have been displaced. So even more so we have to show them love. Even more so we, 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 we have to show them a lot of kindness and do a lot of asset for them because it's a Torah commandment. So the Hinnok brings an interesting allusion to this idea that when the Torah tells us to love the convert, it gives a reason. We who are born as Jews were Gerim. Everyone was a Gerim. The same word that is used for converts in Egypt. The Torah refers to us with this word for a stranger in a foreign land feels the same discomfort and loneliness as a convert. For this reason, we should have compassion for them. The Torah uh, reasoning implies that this mitzvah is not limited to a, to a literal convert. So the Peraloets discusses a simple, the, this principle of the Chenuk. It says that this mitzvah is especially relevant regarding a Sephardic Jew who dwells in a land populated by Ashkenazim 
or by Ashkenazi Jews who dwell in a land, a land primarily populated by Sephardic Jews. He writes that we must respect and treat Jews of all backgrounds equally and not to do as many of the ignorant people do who say, let the Sephardi go to the Sephardi and let the Ashkenazi go to the Ashkenazi. We are one nation, guys. We all share one father and one Torah. Just because we speak different languages, are we different people? No, to the contrary. If someone is different than you, then you have a greater mitzvah to love him. Because on the fundamental premise, Ahavas Hager, loving the convert. So the Sefer Habris, writes, written by Rav Pinchas Aliyahu Horowitz of Vilna, discusses this topic as well and mentions it was common in his day to dislike people from other countries. He adds that this was prevalent even among good Torah Jews and leaders. And this was written, guys, over 200 years ago. He writes that such behavior is worse than standard hatred for another on three accounts. Listen to this carefully. When you dislike your neighbor, you dislike a single person. But when you dislike a group, it's like disliking the entire tribe. It can mushroom to tens of thousands of constant sins. Are you listening? Are you listening to this? When you dislike an individual, it's not necessarily totally baseless. There are many well be a minor cause for the dislike but it is impossible to say that an entire group of people or a whole country has a negative flaw that justifies your dislike of them every group includes its good and its bad and its difference indifferent when you dislike a fellow for a reason but you can eventually make peace but if you dislike an entire group of people there's generally no end to such hatred so in our times perhaps it's not on our lands or but neighborhoods or communities and shuls. Indeed, Rav Haim Shmuelovitz would say, Ahavas Hager applies to a new Talmud in Yeshiva as well. Listen to this, guys. This is very, very this is very important for us to know we don't understand and this goes also in terms of and people in Shaduchim and I know because I see it all the time myself and it's sad to say this but I I see it it's like the Ashkenazi says I don't want someone of Sephardic Menhag why not the, the Sephardi says I don't want anyone of, of Ashkenazi men. Why not? Why don't we? What's the problem? What? Because a simple uh, things of, let's say, halachah, you know, uh, differences, because it's a different culture. Who cares? It's Hashem's culture as well. We're all one nation. The fact that Hashem put some people in Spain and put some people in Iraq and put some people in Poland and put some people in Germany doesn't make the German better than the one in Spain or the Spain better than the one in Poland we're all one nation and Hashem chose to put us there because it was he that chose to put people there now we're going to come and we think we're going to think that a person's minhag is better than the other person's minhag who are we to say such a thing we are one nation one one, one under and attached to Kadosh Baruch Hu himself. And in his nation, he has a lot of different flavors, a lot of different customs, a lot of beautiful nuances, which makes us the beautiful nation that we are. At the end of the day, we're Jews. Period. Period. We are Jewish people. So, uh, Hazidah, the non-kosher bird. Let's go here. Let's, let's look at this insight.
There was a beautiful comment from the Hidushei Harim regarding the mitzvah to love all Jews equally, regardless of their background or origin. The Torah and Bayikra lists all the non-kosher birds, one of which is called the Hasidah. We can't identify precisely which bird this is, but Rashi there quotes the Gemara in Hulin that states that it's called the Hasidah because it does acts of chesed, kindness for his friends by giving them food. So the Hidushei Harim wonders, if so, then the Hasidah should be kosher. For Ramban teaches that all of the non-kosher birds are prohibited because of their cruel nature since they are hunters and predators why then is the hasida which gives food to other birds not kosher isn't this a wonderful bird so the hidu harim explains that we should look carefully at the rashi's words he says that the hasida does kindness only with his friends so if you are not on her list and you're not part of her clique then she won't help you this is a sign of tuma of impurity and we must avoid midot of that type this is very important lesson guys we often know people who seem very very kind and generous but only to people in their own neighborhood or in their own community we must understand that chesed is intended for everyone of course as a concept that if you have limited funds your family and the poor of your city come first and there's an established halachic priorities but the concept of taking care only only of your own is 100% 100% unacceptable also, children are friendly with everyone. The Sefer Habris shares a fascinating insight. There were various utensils in the Mishkan, each representing a different facet of the Torah. The Aron, which the Luchos, where the Ten Commandments were placed, represents the Torah itself. Upon the Aron rested the golden kaporas, its covering. And upon the kaporas were the Keruvim, the golden sculpture of two winged cherubs facing each other. The kaporas represents the golden mitzvot between man and Hashem. So just as the kaporas served as as a covering for the Aron, so too the mitzvah between man and Hashem are generally not necessarily logical to us, but are mitzvot that we are commanded to do without understanding the reason behind them. Thus, they are covered and concealed, symbolized by the kaporas. The keruvim represents a mitzvot between man and his fellow, symbolized by their two faces seeing each other in loving harmony. Our sages teach that these two faces were faces of little children. Why? Why do you think? If you watch a child playing with a toy, you will notice that as soon as he spots another child, he will drop whatever he's doing and gleefully play with his friend. They will joyfully sing and squeal together, ignoring all that is going on around them. And if he doesn't have someone to play with, he will make his own little doll and imagine that this little doll is his friend this shows that love for one another is a natural human instinct this is a lesson of the keruvim to strive to develop our natural love for one another and disregard that which is taking place in our environment so perhaps we can add the following children don't differentiate between various origins or communities they don't understand the difference between a Sephardi and an Ashkenazi or a Hasidisha or, or someone from Yemen they don't understand these things okay they play with all children alike so too we must understand that we have within ourselves the nature to love all jews equally regardless of the differences they are all jews oh, another sad event took place in the yeshiva zamir of jerusalem in the 1990s 
Um, here it says that, that, that someone was there at the time and remembered it. A, a British boy was new to the yeshiva. He had been there for only a few months when one day during the first Seder, he told the Sarusa that he had to use the restroom. He didn't return. The next morning, he was found lifeless in the restroom. Apparently, he had suffered a heart attack or something similar, something event, and passed away in a very tragic way. A few days later, while everyone was still in shock, the Rosh Hashiva, Rav Nosen Zvi Finkel, addressed the Talmudim and quoted the Gemara in Shabbat 105 that states, if one member of the group passes away, all the members should be concerned. This means that if one of the group passes away, there's a heavenly judgment upon the whole group. Rav Nosen Zvi said, one of our Bene Habura passed away. So we have to take this to heart. We have to be concerned. We have to do teshuva. Then he paused and said, you might say to yourself, this boy was new to the yeshiva. What does this have to do with me? I didn't even know him. But if a boy has been in a yeshiva for two and a half months and you didn't know him, that's a bigger reason to worry. And if you say to yourself that you don't consider him part of your habura, woe unto you. You must be even more worried. So he explained that if you don't feel concerned and if you don't feel that he has nothing to do with you, you have even a bigger concern to think that a fellow Jew in your yeshiva has nothing to do with you. It's an important point that we must constantly reiterate no matter where we come from. We are all one nation with one father. And if we don't feel that, that is definitely a cause for us to be concerned, guys. So I'll tell you, unity wins wars. Abdut wins wars. In the course of his conquest, here's another example or, or you know another incident of large parts of russia napoleon would occasionally seek advice from great rabbis about his chances of success in the battlefield the story is told here how he met rav haim Belozhner, the rosh Shiva yeshivat Belozhin. one evening the french army arrived in Belozhin and prepared to set up camp the town although a tragic a strategic location was not fortified and thus easily conquered the majority of its inhabitants in their houses its inhabitants fled because they feared the consequences of the war so they left the rest locked themselves up in their house when napoleon officers entered the town they found that all the houses were dark and the streets were deserted the only light they could see came from the yeshiva velosian so an officer approached the yeshiva opened the main door and entered the building at the far side of the bet midash sat an elderly man in his 70s holding a candle in his hand as he studied the book in front of him that was rav chaim who in times of distress as in times of happiness found joy in the Bet Midash. He was so absorbed in this learning that he did not even notice the officer approaching him. So when the officer began to bellow at him, Rab Chaim jumped up from his seat. The officer spoke French, so when he saw that the rabbi didn't understand what he was saying, he addressed him in German, asking if he understood that language. Rab Chaim answered that he was no expert in German, but that he would try to answer as best he could. Good, said the officer. Could you please tell me where your rabbi lives? The one called Haim? We have heard so much about him as one who knows hidden secrets and can perform miracles. So Rab Haim answered, the man you seek is here in the Bet Midash. But when you say that he performs miracles, I can assure you that that is not true. So the officer understood that he was speaking to the man he sought and immediately came to the point. The emperor himself wants to meet you. 
Wait here and they will come to bring you to him. So before long, a few soldiers arrived in a battle-worn carriage and took Rabheim to the elegant pavilion in the center of the camp. Napoleon was happy to see Rabheim, whose face shone with the purity of Torah. The emperor began relating what he had heard from other Jews in the country of Rabheim's miraculous powers. Rabheim answered that he was a simple Jew, striving to learn Torah and nothing more. Napoleon said, I understand that you do not wish to acknowledge that you know how to perform miracles, but you must agree that you are a wise man. Therefore, tell me, what is your opinion about the future of my invasion of Russia? Will it be a victory like my previous campaigns or perhaps a terrible tragedy awaits me? Reveal to me your thoughts frankly without any fear. In response, Rob High related the following parable. He said, a prince was once traveling on the road with four mighty horses of the finest stock, pulling his coach. When he arrived in the midst of the thick forest, one of the horses slipped into deep mud. This horse pulled the other horses after it, and the wagons turned over. All of the efforts of the prince and his officers to pull them were out were, were futile. A few hours passed, and then along came a farmer with a wagon drawn by three weak and sickly horses. They too began to sink in the mud, but the farmer whipped his horses, whereupon they used all their strength that were able to pull their wagon out. The prince and his officers were astonished at their success. The prince approached the farmer and said to him, I have four mighty thoroughbreds and you have three sickly beasts. And yet yours were able to get out of the mirror while mine are still, still there. How do you explain this? The farmer replied, I have no special secret. Your horses are pure thoroughbreds. You have taken one from here and one from there from the best in every country. Therefore, when you whip them, each one tries to go in a different direction and they are unable to work together. But my bony little horses are of all of one family, a mother and her two sons. When I whip one of them, the others want to help that one. And so they have pulled themselves together out of the mud by working together. This is similar, Rabbi Haim explained, to the matter in which we are dealing with here. The great Napoleon is like the prince in the story. He has at his disposal a gigantic well-trained army, but they are not all of the same blood. The army is made up of troops from Austria, Prussia, Spain, and Italy. Every faction wants to claim the victory for themselves. Beside that, each battalion is pleased when another one is defeated. So that's not the case regarding the Russian army. Although it's a poor army, since it's made up of people fighting for their homeland, everyone feels a common danger, and they are completely united for the common good. So therefore, concluded Rabbi Hein, there's no doubt about the success of this battle. The victory will go to your enemy. The Jewish nation is very diverse, spread out amongst the globe with language and cultural barriers that seem to divide us. However, when we view ourselves as one nation, guys, and not as a collection of factions, then we and we and we feel another's pain, we are able to succeed in a much, much greater way. Here's another lesson of Egypt. There's no class system amongst the Jewish people. Here's a fascinating little known Madrash quoted in Haseder Haruch, the Midrash asked, if the Jewish people are so dear to Hashem, why did he send them into the land of the enemy, Egypt? So the Midrash answers that Yaakov Avinu had four wives, Leah and Rachel were the primary wives, and Bilhah and Zilpah, their handmaidens, were secondary. The children of Leah and Rachel would belittle the children of Bilhah and Zilpah. They did not act towards them with proper brotherly love. Hashem therefore said, what can I do? So that the children of Leah and Rachel will accept their other brothers. 
I will send them down to Egypt and they will all become slaves. And then when I redeem them, I will give them and their children the mitzvah of Pesach. And they will come to the Seder night and say, Avadim Ayinu, Paro, we were slaves to Paro. And then they will all be equals. So the Midrash continues. And all of this is to teach us how important peace and unity are to Hashem. This is astounding because the intent of sending the Jewish people down to Egypt was so that they would realize that they were all equals because in Egypt the nation was enslaved. That is the goal of Yitzhak Mishraim. There should be no class system amongst the Jewish people. We are all one nation regardless of an individual's country or tribe of origin. This is why they went down to Egypt. It must be that they achieved this unity for how else could they be redeemed if they did not rectify the sin. Sound familiar today, guys? Current events. Let's look at ourselves. What just recently happened on October 7th? How have we now all come together? Did it have to be that way? Did it have to be that we have to have such an event on Simcha Torah to pull us together? Are we listening to these teachings, guys? Are we learning here? So indeed, the Rivka... And, and Haggadah Shel Pesach writes that the Jews were redeemed. Listen to this from Egypt because they were friendly and united with one another. This is the power of Agdud. So before we look down at others, feeling that we're superior or more important, you have to keep in mind that we were all once slaves in Egypt. We're no better than our fellows. A fascinating incident involving the Rav Eliezer Menachem Shach illustrates this point. A family had moved from the United States to B'nai Brak and the parents had converted to Judaism while yet in America and they sought a more spiritual environment. So their daughter attended a base Yaakov in B'nai Brak but unfortunately she was teased by some of the other girls. So as a result she refused to go to school. The parents were at wit's end and did not know what to do. It was suggested that they go to Rav Shach for advice and after hearing the problem Rav Shach asked them to bring their daughter to him. So Rav Shach asked the young girl do you know who I am? The girl responded, of course, you're Rav Shach. Rav Shach said, yes, but I'm also going to tell you something else. Do you know that I too am a Ger? And not only that, but many teachers in your base, Yaakov, are also Gerim. There's nothing negative about being a Ger. In fact, it's a very precious thing and something of which we have to be very proud. So if anyone ever says anything negative, smile to yourself and be very proud. Rav Shach was widely known for his absolute devotion to, to truth, to the MS. After his meeting with a young girl, someone who was present asked Rav Shach, how could he have said that he was a Ger? So Rav Shach explained, in order to relieve Zar, anguish for someone it is permitted to lie hazal tell us that for someone who is careful to be meticulous in saying only the ms it is mutar leshanus mipnei hashalom to promote peace and harmony it is permitted to veer from the truth this is also includes in trying to alleviate someone's czar nonetheless it's still preferable if possible to use an expression that's still technically true even if the person you are speaking to may interpret it differently so the Torah says in Devarim you must love the Ger for you were Gerim in Mitzrayim so technically we are all, all Gerim descendants of Gerim so the young girl returned to school and adjusted quite well having been inspired by Rav Shach 
and another story here guys just separate yet together we have to remember these things as mentioned one has to love all stripes and types of jews equally regardless of their communities or origin does this mean that no one should have their own identity and the biography of rav nosen's v finkel we find a remarkable insight that sheds light on this issue it's well known that the yeshivas mir yushalayim, yushalayim grew exponentially under the leadership of rav nosen's v finkel it grew from a yeshiva, one building with hundreds of Talmidim to an entire an empire of many buildings with thousands of Talmidim. What was the secret to his success? So one of the Magidea Shior, Rav Benjamin Finkel, explained the theory behind the yeshiva under the guidance of Rav Nosson's V. Hazal say that at the Yamsuf, the, the sea split into 12 different paths, one for each one of the 12 tribes to pass through. However, Hashem made the walls transparent so the members can of each tribe can see all the others and feel that they were all part of the same nation. If they were meant to be united, why didn't Hashem just make one path for all to share? So he explained that Hashem kept the balance. Jews should maintain their identity while at the same time be part of Cloud Israel. Unity doesn't mean that a person has to give up their identity. Everyone has their own kahila, community, yeshiva, in which a person belongs, in which they should be proud. However, nevertheless, they should be able to mingle and unite with everyone while at the same time maintaining their identity. So in yeshiva's mirror, Rav Nosen Zvi wanted to make everyone feel comfortable and at home. He had a minyana with different nuksak, and he would sometimes attend the nuksak Minyan. He even had a later Shabbat Minyan for the Hasidim who were accustomed to daven at a later time. But when it came to learning, everyone had to be together. That was the beauty of the yeshiva. People came from five continents, and whether they were Israeli, American, European, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, or Hasidic, everyone learned together regardless of his language or dialect this is a beautiful thought on this concept from rabbi yako kamenetsky in parshas badimbar one year after the U the jewish people had left egypt hashem commands that moshe and aron to set up designated areas for each shabbat each area was marked with a flag of a different color for each Shevet. The same color on the Shevet stone on the Choshen. The breastplate worn by the Kohen Gadol. So Rav Yaakov asked a very obvious question. If the designated areas and their flags were necessary, why did Hashem wait a year to instruct them how to set up the camp? Shouldn't this have been done and enacted immediately as soon as they left Egypt? Rav Yaakov ingenuously explains the concept of the flag for each Shevet evokes the unique qualities and strength of each tribe. No two tribes were alike. However, this would cause divisiveness and separation among the Jewish people for each Shevet would boast of his specialties. Hashem didn't want this and therefore he did not command the Jews to set up a separate camps and flags upon their departure from Egypt. It was only a year later that they had already built the Mishkan with all the Shevatim and camping around it as a central focus and unified force among them when Hashem instructed Moshe to set up the flags making each Shevet both unique and integral part of the nation this encampment can be compared to the human body the body is made up of many different organ guys limbs and sinews each serving a specific purpose and function however when one part of the body is hurt the entire body is in pain because although we are different body parts they all make up one whole so to the Jewish people as long as they are all connected and unified there can be room for each person to focus on his unique capabilities but without unity guys without that dude if each person focuses only on himself there will be dissension Rav Leif Hasman 
quotes a midrash that when Hashem appeared at Har Sinai, He descended with angels in a formation with flags. When the Jewish people saw that, they too wanted flags. So Hashem gave them flags. Why did the Melachim have flags? Why was it about their flags that was so impressive to the Jewish people? Okay, he explains that every Malach has his own personal mission to carry out. And therefore, each one has his own flag. Nevertheless, the Malachim have no hatred or jealousy towards one another. They all unite as one with the same goal in mind to carry out the will of Hashem. When the Jews saw that the uniqueness and unity can go and coexist, they too wanted to be that way. So interestingly, after Shmona Esrei, when we take three steps back, and say which is the prayer for the peace in the world we say he who makes peace in his heights may he make peace upon us and upon all israel why do we add this brief to the tefillah after we already finished praying so during the shmona esrei we are like angels we keep our two feet together to resemble the angels who have only one foot now that we're concluding our prayers taking three steps back and returning to our human state we ask hashem to help us retain this lofty angelic level how how through the establishment of peace like the angels on high who are at a peace with one another look at the importance of being an adult look at the importance of being unified look at the importance of being one with kadosh baruch Hu. you cannot be one with hashem if you're not one with his children who what father in his right mind would say that this person who hates my children who doesn't like to play with my children i'm gonna love him equally i'm gonna have i'm gonna have compassion for him no human would do that they would want the kitchens to go away don't come to my house if you're not gonna find faith if, 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 if you're not going to like my kids equally don't come to my house if you're going to make my kids feel bad stay in your own place don't come here how do we think that Hashem is going to feel when we're not treating each other with the same love and the same respect because that's what Hashem wants we are all part of Hashem and the fact that a person is a Sephardi or a person is Ashkenazi and a person is Hasidic makes no difference in the eyes of Kadosh Radu because he made the person Hasidic he made the person Sephardic and he made the person Ashkenazi that was the will of Karos Baruchu. Now a person's going to take their flag and use that flag to make them different or to even think that one is better than the other? Are you kidding me? We're all one and we're all equally valuable and precious in the eyes of Karos Baruchu. And that includes the Ger. The Ger more than everyone because the Ger chose to leave its nation to come and attach itself to Karos Baruchu. The, the, the Ger was not born like that. The Ger chose to be next to Hashem and therefore in the Torah the Ramban says that the Ger is Hashem loves the Ger love we're required it's a, it's, it's a mitzvah to love the Ger more than we than we love a natural born Jew okay because the, the Ger chose Hashem he wasn't born in that situation he chose Hashem so he becomes precious in the eyes of Kadosh Baruch Hu. and guess what every time we choose Hashem which we're all Gerem every time we choose the path of Hashem and not our own selfish egotistical path then we too become the love in the Shem's eyes and Hashem has a lot of love for us so we have a lot to learn from this guys I tell you we are all one we're all one people 
I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care if you have a kippah on your head or you don't. If you're Jewish, I love you. If you're part of Cloud Israel, I love you. I don't care if you're in, in the US. I don't care if you're in Australia. I don't, care if you're, I don't care where you are. If you are a Jew, I love Cloud Israel. And every time you see a Jew and you pass by someplace, you have to say, I love this Jew no matter where they're holding. Because where they're holding is Hashem's Hezbon, not yours. Your job is to love every single Jew, no matter what, okay? And be favorable to them and do not speak any ill words because when a person loves a Jew or a person loves someone, they don't say anything negative. So we have to be careful with Lashon Ara. So with that being said, I'm going to give you something practical today to end the Shior. As we do with these lessons, we're going to give something practical for us to do. Think of someone that you may have because they're Ashkenazi or because they're um, Sephardi or because of whatever Hasidish I don't care anything anything that you you thought in that moment you thought in that moment because you made a mistake it's okay we all we all we all have something like that okay and you said to yourself you'll do chuba because you have to be apologetic and you know I'm sorry Hashem I you know I, I did this not knowing or I did this knowing and and whatever and I want you to be go reach out to that person and be very nice to that person and just just say hello just say hello to the person and just really really feel your heart open and care about that person Anyone, anyone that you feel that may be in the slightest bit, whether they come from a different community or a different country, or maybe they come from a different menhag, or maybe they're a ger, or maybe they're a balachuba, and you think in your mind you're judging them for whatever reason. That's the other side, by the way. So, okay, clear that schmutz out of you and reach out to that person today. And you say to that person, how are you doing? I was just thinking about you, and if I ever did anything, you know, to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, I just want to apologize to you. I just want to let you know that, I, you know, I'm and whatever and just do a lot of chesed do a lot of chesed and make the person smile your job today is to reach out to that one person you just have to do one one person that maybe you have treated a little bit indifferently because maybe you thought that you were better i don't know you go and you reach out to that person and you say and you make them smile whatever you need to say hashem will give you the words you'll ask hashem to give you the words he'll give it to you and you will make that person smile today. That's your job. That's your task. That's your talk list for today. Bezat Hashem will continue with these teachings. And we're really going to be in Akdum. Bezat Hashem will help us. That we should make it all. We're going to make it all together. Because we're all beautiful facets of one big diamond called Klaz Israel. And we'll continue with these teachings. Bezat Hashem tomorrow.